One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates who had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Vicki. This week's story in Acts is a violent one. There's no denying it. In their work to spread the gospel of Jesus, Paul and his companions, I suspect, had grown to expect this kind of violence as they ministered to people under the thumb of the Roman Empire. But then again, I guess we have too. We have also grown to expect violence in our schools and in our communities and in our nation. My study Bible calls our text for today, Paul and Silas in prison. 
Yet the image I haven't been able to stop thinking about all week comes from the very, very beginning of the story before all the action takes place, and it's the image of the slave girl. She only gets three verses, and she doesn't get a name. We only know her as a girl who's possessed by a spirit who makes money for her owners by telling fortunes. We only know her as a girl who follows Paul wherever he goes, shouting at the very people he's trying to minister to. I might call her a niggler, a ranter, a troublemaker, a source of irritation for Paul, but my guess is that she was quite vulnerable. Finally, Paul has had enough, and he orders the spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus. A wild chain of events ensues for Paul and his companions and a jailer and his household. But the slave girl, we never hear from again. One summer, about 20 years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to Paris with some family friends. We hit all the attractions during our whirlwind stay. I can hardly remember those museums and churches and monuments and tourist traps. There's one image, however, that I haven't been able to shake. We saw her on the edge of a park near the river, a pretty little girl in a dusty dress sitting on the ground, playing her accordion, collecting coins from tourists as they meandered by. I may not even have noticed her, but for how she played, with her head bobbing up and down. And as we walked closer, I realized that all the bobbing was because she was falling asleep. To be honest, I would like to erase her image from my memory, but it has followed me around. Several years ago, I was combing through treasured pictures from our trip, and there we were, my friend and I, arm in arm in Paris, smiling, smiling widely into the camera, and there the little girl was, unbeknownst to us at the time, in the background of our picture, drooping over her accordion as if to say, I'm still here. Have you forgotten me? I will never know what happened to that little accordion player, but I know she was vulnerable. And you and I, we will never know much more about the slave girl in our story. We'll never learn her name or find out what happened to her after she lost her powers to make money for her owners. We'll never know why in our text from last week, Paul ministers to Lydia, uh, the purveyor of the purple cloth, do you remember, and her companions with such intention. Why this week, Paul seems to walk through fire and back to bring the gospel to the jailer and his household. But why Paul loses his patience with the slave girl and simply moves on. We won't know why Paul doesn't talk to her about the love of Christ or baptize her or eat a meal with her like he does the others. We will never know why she is abandoned by this narrative. But what if... 
What if her mere mention in the background of our sacred text is God's way of preserving her memory? What if hidden in this text is this niggling image from God that can't go unseen or unnoticed for too long? We can't unsee the images of the 19 children and two teachers murdered by a gunman at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas this week. No more than we can unsee the images of the 10 others who were murdered by a racially motivated shooter in in a Buffalo supermarket just two weeks ago. Try as we might to escape these images, today is the 149th day of 2022, and National Public Radio reports that there have already been 213 mass shootings in the U.S. this year, so you do the math. Mass shootings are so frequent now, we are jarred on an almost daily image daily basis by images of vulnerable children and adults murdered and maimed by guns and people, gaping holes left in homes and workplaces and and churches and schools and communities. But despite headline after headline, doesn't it feel like nothing ever changes? Do you share with me a feeling of absolute powerlessness in the wake of all of this grief? And it's not for lack of prayer. This week I did a simple Google search with the phrase prayers after a mass shooting and you know it yielded 11,700,000 thousand results. People are praying. And here at Mount Olivet, we will continue to pray, but somehow, and I offer no easy answers, our prayers need to connect to action. Because in our collective actions as a nation, we have abandoned the ones made vulnerable to gun violence. They have been abandoned by the collective we, They have been abandoned by the collective us. Even in our sorrow today, we still pray and sing hymns to God like like Paul and Silas did in prison because we believe in a God who never abandons the vulnerable ones that the world abandons. We believe in a God who never runs from brokenness. This God in whom we trust and proclaim does not look upon these images of casualties like news stories or statistics. Our God is the one who became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Our God is the one who moves into the supermarkets and the malls and the bars and the classrooms at Robb Elementary when God's children are under attack. We worship a God whose mercies and presence and care for those who are powerless among us should leave us speechless. 
I think God wants help writing an ending to the slave girl's story. I think God wants help writing an ending to the story of gun violence in this country. So may we write a new prayer. May that new prayer be that we interact with the pain of this world, not from afar, not from a distance, not only with thoughts and prayers, but with intention and care and action. Amen.